Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS app powered by Superbook Sports, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It on SportsMap Radio Network, as well as a writer for Fan Nation and a frequent guest of the show. Cole, it's always great to speak with you. Kayla, we're getting down to the final weeks before the NFL draft, and the Arizona Cardinals might be one of the more interesting teams that people are not discussing enough about. I think you're right on that front, but I guess I'm going to bury the lead with the Cardinals here, and I'll start with the team that's probably getting a ton of attention, and that's the Carolina Panthers because they moved up to number one in the draft. They now have plenty of options in front of them. The whole contingency was at C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young's Pro Days. They had dinner at Will Levis's Pro Day. They were also at Anthony Richardson's Pro Day. The Panthers did sign Andy Dalton in the offseason, so if they wanted to go Anthony Richardson and develop him, they could. What, in your view, makes the most sense for the Panthers here in this clear rebuilding phase on the offensive side of the ball with new head coach Frank Reich? I think the biggest thing is that if you're going to stay at one, you have to go with the quarterback that Frank Reich really likes. And I think that at this point, it would be Ohio State C.J. Stroud. You got to look at the consistency and the contingencies of what Reich has looked for in a quarterback from his time in San Diego with Phillip Rivers to Philadelphia with Carson Wentz to Jacoby Brissett to Matt Ryan to even a guy like Carson Wentz once again when he was in Indianapolis. First up is size. They all stand about six foot two, six foot four. They all weigh about 225 to 230 pounds. They all are known for their accuracy more so than their arm strength. And they also are all known for the ability to lead offenses in terms of playmaking, RPO styles. A lot more of play, a lot less play action pass, more so of quick strikes across the middle of the field. Stroud has all that. Stroud production is second to none. Last season led college football in highest passer rating, finished with 41 touchdown passes, was basically the most consistent playmaker in the Big Ten last year, one uh, first time Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, two time Heisman finalist. He has a size. He's six foot three, 218 pounds. He has the mobility aspect. The decision-making is going to come under question because of a lot of his, his plays that were phenomenal were on script. Once the overall offensive line started to deteriorate, once he started to lose weaponry down the field, he seemed flustered. But if you go back and you watch his two most impressive games, they came against Utah last year in the Rose Bowl and this past season against Georgia. The mobility is there. It just comes down to can he be able to dissect plays at a quick enough level. This was a big knock that I had against Justin Fields when he was coming out of Ohio State. It felt like he rushed through plays as if a wide receiver would get open about 0.2 seconds after he had already bailed on the snap to where a play that could have gone 25 yards downfield ended up only going for about a gain of three because Fields wanted to go ahead and run it. But everything is there for Ohio for, for CJ Stroud. I really believe that when you look at his production, his consistency, his size, his footwork, his frame, his vision, his confidence, they're all traits that you want in a franchise caliber quarterback. However, this is David Tepper we're talking about. And David Tepper is going to take the quarterback that he believes will bring in not just the most fans, but also the biggest upside. So I think it really does come down to C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young at the end of the day. I think Anthony Richardson would be a fine selection if they weren't picking at number one. But I do think that at this point, Stroud feels like the safer bet of the two. 
You're based in Houston. The Texans are now sitting with the number two overall pick. New head coach D'Amico Ryans. They need a franchise quarterback. Have you been able to discern anything from his press conferences about maybe the type of quarterback he favors and therefore who might fit that mold at number two? I think what you really are looking for is a guy that can work in a play-action, pass-run heavy formation. That's what Bobby Slowick and Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel and all of these other offensive-minded coaches who have worked in the Kyle Shanahan tree really are known for. Run the ball, be able to move the sticks, really rely on those short to intermediate throws, and that reads Bryce Young to a T. Young does not have a superstar caliber arm. He's not going to be able to have the howitzer that goes 45, 50 yards down the field. But he is going to win in that 18 to 25-yard range, which is exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo did. It's exactly what Brock Purdy did last year. That's kind of what you're getting from a Bryce Young. Consistency is basically his best element. Last season without John Mechie, without Jamison Williams, without Evan Neal, without Brian Robinson, he still threw for over 3,300 passing yards, still had 32 touchdown passes, ran for, I think, five or six touchdowns. And he did so also in 11 games instead of in 12 games because if he also missed that game against Texas A&M in the middle of the season. So production-wise, he didn't have a Heisman-caliber season, but he still put up ample production and finished second in the SEC in touchdown passes and third in the SEC in completion percentage. This is a quarterback that people are going to manipulate and they're going to have pre-predicated notions on his size because if he did come in at 5'10", he did weigh 208 pounds, but you got to remember, I mean, 204 pounds, but you got to remember Houston this offseason made sure that they fortified its offensive line for the foreseeable future by getting Shaq Mason, who by multiple reports, I've been, I've been told they would like to get a long-term deal done with him before the start of the season. So it would make sense that he would take over as your right guard. You also extended Laramie Tunstall to a brand new contract for three years. So he's in the building for the next four seasons. There's a lot to like about his potential and upside at 29 years old. And I think that they're also going to do their due diligence on trying to figure out what will be the status of Titus Howard, who had a really good rebounding year last season back at right tackle, his natural position. So it's not as if Bryce Young is going to an organization that does not have a good offensive line. It's not a leap by any means. You still need to add in a center, and you need to hope that first-round pick, Kenyon Green, from last year will develop into a much better uh, pass protector because his run-blocking skills are fine but you really need him to go be hone in on footwork, on hand placement. Young should be able to sustain a lot of hits, and even then, so ample protection behind this Texans offensive line. I don't think it's a consolation prize if they get a C.J. Stroud, and I do believe at this point, if they do take a quarterback at number two, it is C.J. Stroud or it is Bryce Young. Even though the David Mulligetta situation is going to be blown out of proportion, I think that either, either way, they feel content, but if they have their selection, Bryce Young is likely going to be the pick. Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio Network, writer for Fan Nation, joining us here on Extra Point. I buried the lead long enough here. The Cardinals sitting at number three. The options are there for them, you would think, to be able to get whatever defensive player they want or if they want to make a trade and get some much-needed draft capital to help rebuild. So if you were in charge, would it be Will Anderson or would it be a trade? And is it possible that if you trade, you can still get Will Anderson? I don't think if you trade, you'll get Will Anderson. I don't think Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher out of Texas Tech, is that far from removed from the conversation. you got to remember that Indianapolis potentially is going to add in a quarterback. I think that you would probably see 
Jalen Carter, maybe go off the board at pick number five to Seattle. I think that if you're really looking at pick number seven, which would be one of the trade options, you would maybe be able to get Tyree because of, I think, Devon Witherspoon or maybe even Christian Gonzalez would be the pick by the Detroit Lions at number six. So I think that a guy who does have upside, really good pass rushing, an elite motor, good footwork, bend like crazy, bull rushing technology, he would be able to be available at pick number seven if you make the trade with the Raiders. I don't know if you make the trade with the Raiders. Everything that we're hearing right now from Daniel Jeremiah on NFL.com about the Tennessee Titans wanting to move up into the top three to be able to surpass Indianapolis for a quarterback would make a lot of sense. And I think that when you look at a team like Arizona, they understand this is not a good roster by any slate of the imagination. Whether or not you keep Kyler Murray, whether or not you keep DeAndre Hopkins, they're still going to finish bottom five in almost every statistical category just because of what they're doing by the turnover, by the change of command, by what you see in a guy by the likes of Jonathan Gannon as the new head coach. So you might as well get as much draft capital as possible to be able to garner more interest next offseason and be able to give yourself a couple of cornerstone pieces by just moving down the draft board. Ultimately, as much as I think pass rusher is a major need for this Arizona Cardinals team, one thing you know about a Jonathan Gannon-led defense is he loves his cornerback play. And I think that the one reason why you would be willing to move down to pick number 11 is because this is a very solid cornerback class from Devon Witherspoon out of Illinois, Christian Gonzalez from the likes of uh, Oregon. I really like the film of Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. I actually have him as my number one cornerback in this year's draft class. One of them is going to be available at pick number 11. And to move back eight spots, is going to cost you at least one first-round pick, likely one mid-round selection, so a second or third-round pick in this year's draft, and probably a mid-round selection in next year's draft. So you're garnering three picks in return and very high-value picks that Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austinforth, the new general manager, could use to their advantage over the next two draft seasons. And again, we know that Kyler Murray is not going to be playing most of the year. We understand that there could be a move that potentially gets done to where Maybe if you want to throw Ryan Tannehill into the deal to get him a shot to be the starting quarterback for at least a season, it could happen. But I do think that Arizona really needs to focus in on trying to build for its future. The best way to do so is by trading back. I look at Las Vegas at number seven to be a trade destination, but I really do look at Tennessee because of they need to fortify this new unit underneath Rand Carson, the general manager. Potentially picking number 11 is going to be on the table, and I could definitely see a shot where Arizona moves back. Maybe they even take a wide receiver at pick number 11 to replace DeAndre Hopkins. So the Colts, they're sitting at number four. They have a new head coach, Shane Steichen. Uh, He's a guy that has offensive background. He certainly had major success with Jalen Hurts in an offensive rebuild now, though, for the Colts. So can we take anything away from what he did with the Eagles as to maybe what a mold is for what he wants with the Colts? or with some of the front office things that have occurred in the owner for the Colts that kind of anything's up in the air? I think really anything's up in the air right now. If they are truly fully invested on Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky, I feel like he is going to be the ticket number four. But if they aren't sold on Levis, if they aren't sold on Anthony Richardson, there could be a very serious conversation to where they get on the phone with the Baltimore Ravens after the draft and add in Lamar Jackson. you got to remember that the non-exclusive franchise tag will not come into effect until the start of the actual year where training camp occurs, and you only have to give up two first-round picks. So it doesn't matter where Indianapolis is selecting in this year's draft or next year's draft. If Lamar Jackson is not signed to a long-term deal by the NFL draft, 
you know that there can be a conversation had following the picks and following the selections to where they'd be willing to go two first-round picks for the future. Now, this could be really huge because it could be a different selling point to where a team like Indianapolis goes and fortifies other positions of value. They need to upgrade at left tackle. They need to upgrade at cornerback. They need to upgrade at pass rusher on the outside. There's a lot of different positions that they could address to where if they want to move down the draft board and allow a team like maybe an uh, maybe an uh, a Atlanta, maybe a team like a Las Vegas move up, get their quarterback for the future, one of those things happen because if they know that they're going to add in Lamar Jackson, that could be a difference maker. But I don't think that there's one set quarterback you're looking for if you're Chris Ballard. I think you have to walk away with a quarterback. And if it's not Lamar Jackson, you have to land either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis and make it work because – if you somehow go ahead and take like a Hendon Hooker on day two, the only thing that I can imagine right now is the Jamal Adams meme where he was in New York where he got left out of the building. That's going to be the key card of a guy like Chris Ballard if he doesn't add a quarterback in this year's draft. Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio Network and writer for Fan Nation, joining us here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Let's talk about some position groups, wide receiver needy teams like the Patriots, Giants, Ravens, Packers. You also mentioned the Cardinals. This isn't maybe an overly loaded draft with wide receivers, Sue. Do they have to go get a wide receiver in the first round for these teams if they are going to improve at that position? No, I think that what you would do is if you're a team like the Minnesota Vikings, you take a wide receiver at the end of the first round. If you're a team like the New York Giants, maybe because you added in Darren Waller, who is more of a flex tight end, big slot receiver, you can add in a wide receiver at pick number 25. If the Saints really want to go get another wide receiver because they don't trust having Michael Thomas for a full season, maybe you can get a wide receiver there's certain teams that I can see the value of adding in a receiver in the first round. And the main reason why is because I really view this class as a horrendous number one mentality wide receiver class. But I do view this class as a very high value, high productive number two receiver class. If you were to put a guy like Jordan Addison as your number two receiver, opposite to say a team like uh, Justin Jefferson, he is going to become a very solid playmaker. Some player who gets about anywhere of 65 to 75 catches a season, probably 800 to 1,200 yards, four to seven touchdowns. He is going to be able to open up the field and expand reps for the rest of the passing game. I think the same thing can be said about a Quentin Johnson from TCU. I think Cedric Tillman from Tennessee is a very big sleeper. Jalen Hyatt offers vertical presence, maybe not at the value of a number one player, but definitely at the, play, at the value of a number two type of receiver. So there's definitely names that could make the fit for round one. Again, if you look at the way that the NFC was built last year, the best teams were predicated on double formations of wide receiver play. Philadelphia had two 1,000-yard receivers in A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. You have the likes of San Francisco with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. You look at the AFC, you have teams such as the Cincinnati Bengals with two premier receivers in, in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Uh, Miami, they have two 1,000-yard receivers in Jalen Waddle and in Tyreek Hill. So you need complementary pieces, but if you don't have a bona fide number one receiver, I feel like it would be better to wait and draft a guy only because of I see more value in players in the rounds two through five then I do over in round one on maybe a guy that you could get similar production from at the start of round two. 
It's not an overly attractive position, but it is vitally important. We saw how important it was for the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's offensive line. So from a draft standpoint, who stands out this year to make an immediate difference for a team? I think when you look at Broderick Jones from Georgia, he's going to be a plug-and-play left tackle. He's done a really nice job of improving his footwork and his hand placement since last year. He's only a full-time one-year starter, but you got to like what you saw from him late in the year this past season. He only allowed 17 total pressure, uh, 17 total hurries, uh, seven total pressures on a quarterback, and one sack. So he really does fit the mold of what you want on the blind side. I think Anton Harrison, depending on the offense he goes to, can be a plug-and-play left tackle. He was phenomenal this past season at Oklahoma, but he had a really, really, really efficient tape back last year during the likes of the Spencer, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Spencer Rattler slash Caleb Williams era. He only allowed one total sack. He only allowed five total pressures. Now, with him, he is only a right, a lot of left tackle. He's only spent time on the left side of the offensive line. And I know that people are going to say, oh, well, left tackle and right tackle are not that different. Uh, that's a lie. That is a complete and total lie. You have to be able to take those necessary reps. So a team that maybe could be like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who recently released Donovan Smith, they may be a team that gets interested in adding in a guy like Anton Harrison because of, if it ain't broke, don't fix what you already have with a guy such as Tristan Wharfs on the right side. I really do like John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota. I think he fits a lot of run-oriented offenses. The last few years, he's been working with Muhammad Ibrahim in his backfield, and this has been a very detailed offense underneath P.J. Fleck that commands excellence on the interior of the offensive line, primarily due to the fact that he doesn't have a mobile quarterback that cannot afford to have bull rushers work up the middle of the field. Steve Avila from TCU is another name I keep a close eye on. He's very multi-purposeful. I think the biggest thing about him is that he has meaningful reps at center. He has meaningful reps at guard. Usually what you hear during the offseason is, oh, well, we'll just go ahead and slide him over and get him some reps, and we'll see if it works. And nine times out of ten, it really doesn't. A guy like Steve Avila actually does have reps at both positions. So there's film to see where he can improve as a center, where his strengths is as a left guard, where are his weaknesses as a right guard. I think that's going to be very beneficial for him. And the last guy is my favorite offensive lineman in this year's draft. It's Northwestern's Peter Skorowski. I think that he has the potential – to be an all-pro guard from the get-go. I think the fact that he has reps on the right side of the offensive line, the left side of the offensive line, reps at both tackle positions allows him to be multi-versatile. I know we're going to hear about the arm length thing, but his former teammate, Rashawn Slater, had small arms before last season's torn ACL. People were considering him a top-10 left tackle on the rise. I think it's really coming down more sort of footwork and hand placement. That's exactly what you're going to get from a guy like Peter Skaronsky. I don't think he makes it past Chicago at number nine. They really need to upgrade its offensive line, not just internally, but on the exterior side. They love what they saw from Braxton Jones, the fifth-round pick next last year. And I think Skaronsky can still avoid either at right guard and allow Tevin Jenkins to kick back outside the right tackle or keep Jenkins inside at right guard, and Skaronsky beats your right tackle for the future. But those are just a few offensive linemen that I think really could fortify a team's success, especially in pass protection. Last question here for you. Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It on SportsMap Radio Network, writer at Fan Nation. Uh, it can be any position in this draft. Who do you see as a player you really like that isn't getting a lot of attention right now? 
I'll go with one on both sides. Uh, wide receiver Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, I think, is a player that's going to be able to hit right away. This is a playmaker who never really found immense success in Lincoln Riley's offense. But last year, once Jeff Levy came into the building, a Jeff Levy that likes to have a run-oriented offense. He averaged over 19 yards per play, first 1,000-yard season. Throughout his entire career, he was phenomenal when it came to yards after the catch. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up on the outside. There's immense production and value for a guy such as Marvin Mims, probably somewhere in round three, but he may end up sneaking in round two, even though if he had a Caleb Williams as his quarterback with a similar offensive concept, potentially he'd be talking about a Fred Bolitnikoff award winner. Defensively, I really do like Keon White out of Georgia Tech. I don't think he's a first-round talent by any means, but he is a player that can come in right away, find success as a 3i tech, as a 4 tech, 5-tech, maybe even a standing edge 7-technique. He's a little bit of an older prospect. He's 25 years old. But he has skills that are going to translate to the NFL very quickly as a pass rusher because he spent his first three years at tight end. This is a guy that I think absolutely knows what it's like to go up against a defensive lineman, but he also knows what it's like to play tight end. So he understands where hand placement needs to be. He understands how to win at the point of an attack. Last season, he finished with 14 tackles for losses at Georgia Tech and 7.5 sacks. Probably a better number two pass rusher, but for those teams that are looking to add in and fortify their defensive line very much in somewhere mid-round two, Keon White's a guy. Uh, last person real fast, Dalyon Henley, the linebacker from uh, Washington State, another name that I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with. This guy had over 100 tackles last year. And he's a hyper-athletic player that can work in blitzing packages, can work in coverage. He was a former wide receiver turned defensive back, turned linebacker. So still kind of learning the position, but there's a lot to like about his upside and skills, probably somewhere in the middle of day two. Your knowledge and time is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks so much, Kayla. You're very welcome. Once again, he is Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio Network, as well as a writer with Fan Nation.